In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. Happy Pride, everybody! So June is Pride Month, and I think that this is probably a good time for us to talk about Vikings and kind of queerness and, and homosexuality and things like that, because it's it's a bit in the cultural consciousness at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. There's a lot of conversation about uh, this Viking burial in Birka in Sweden um, that may or may not have represented a trans person. Um, there's even in on the uh, the Disney series about Loki, um, they've made Loki a, a bisexual character who like uh, has a relationship with with people of different genders, but also himself. Yes, sort of a female version of himself from like a different realm or is, something. Is that incest? I don't. It, I don't know. Or is that just vanity? <laughs> <laughs> it's very Loki, whatever yes. it is, isn't it? <laughs> So I think this is a a good time for us to talk about what evidence exists, or more likely, what evidence doesn't exist for gay Vikings. Where do you want to start? Well, I guess I should start by saying that people of different sexual orientations and gender identities have existed in every culture throughout human history, including back in the Viking Age. Yeah. But when it comes to the Viking Age, it's really difficult to find clear examples of LGBT people from so long ago because of the nature of our surviving source material. Of course. I mean, we're lucky if we know what they wore and what they ate. Yeah. There's there's not a lot of evidence for anything, let alone people's sexual preferences. Yeah. Some sagas barely feature women and children, let alone LGBT people. Yeah, of yes. course. Generally speaking as well, um, most of the sagas, with a few very notable hot and steamy exceptions, (laughs) uh, the sagas are a bit prudish when it comes to talk about sex, for instance. They beat about the bush a little bit. A man meets a woman, there's a poem, then suddenly they're married and it's 10 years in the future and they've got like five kids. So (laughs) somewhere they had sex in there, but But we're not told about it. Yeah, we don't talk about that. Uh, as we've said many times before, we only really have a small sample of the stories from this time period, which were written down centuries after the Viking Age ended. Yeah. I don't think that the medieval Catholic people of Iceland would have edited the stories to remove, for example, any characters that may not have been in keeping with their medieval Catholic sensibilities. Yeah, but they may have just decided not to transcribe those stories that yeah. they didn't like. They may have selected stories that they thought are worth being preserved. Yeah. We, we may have lost a lot of stories that could have included people that we would now identify as um, LGBT. Yeah. We don't really know, to be honest. We've yeah. got a very kind of limited selection of source material. I think it's also worth noting that today we are very fortunate that we've got terminology for these things. We have ways of describing sexual and gender identities. And, you know, we, we have really kind of acute language for everything. But I mean, that's only a really modern thing. So am I right in thinking that a thousand years ago, they didn't have a lot of specialized terms for people's different sexual and gender identities? Yeah, there, there are a few terms that pop up that we can link with, for, for example, same-sex activity, but they don't have a word like trans, for instance. Yeah. There's nothing quite like that. So 
they don't really communicate very clearly to us um whether or not a character is is kind of gay or or trans or things like that yeah so it's entirely possible that there could be multiple characters in the stories in front of us that are lgbt but they don't have the language to tell us or it's not relevant perhaps to the story they're telling about a dragon or something (laughs) like that so you never know it's entirely possible someone like ragnar lothbrok could have been gay. <laughs> but they just didn't have the words for yes. it. No, that makes total sense. Now, in the surviving literature, we don't have any clear examples of homosexual couples living together. This doesn't mean that homosexual people weren't there. Um, it's entirely possible, of course, in lots of past societies, and even in modern times as well, for somebody to be in a heterosexual marriage, having children but also engage in same-sex activities as well and have relationships of the same sex without causing any kind of upset or scandal within the kind of strict confines of their society or community. So, as I said, there aren't any obvious examples from the Viking Age, but one historical example I'm aware of is uh, King James VI of Scotland, also known as James I of England, Um, He was married to Queen Anne of Denmark for 30 years. They had seven children together. But it's also very well known at the time that he had boyfriends. For example, the Duke of Buckingham was King James's boyfriend. And whilst it's a very different time period to the Viking Age, of course, I'm talking the 17th century here, um, it's an example of how people in the past were capable of engaging in same-sex activity whilst conforming on a surface level to a kind of heterosexual... To normal kind of confines of, of their society. Exactly, yeah. So we we just lack clear examples like this from saga literature or all the editors or anything like that, unfortunately. But there's no doubt that, that sort of thing would have been happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, it's also worth mentioning, I don't think that any characters in saga literature are identified or described as lesbian. Right. Um, I don't think there's even a word for that we can link with lesbianism yeah. in Old Norse that I'm aware of. I mean, that's not altogether surprising. You just said that women weren't really mentioned in general, yeah. let alone a woman in a relationship with another woman. That would yes. have been, you know, they just wouldn't have written that down, would they? Yeah. We do have some very well-developed female characters, but a lot of them are plot devices quite often yeah. for warrior poets, unfortunately. So we barely get a description of their face and hair colour, let alone the relationships that they might have with other women. Yeah. So one term that does come up, which can be associated with same-sex activity, is an Old Norse word, argur, or sometimes ragi. The form of it can vary depending upon how you use it in a sentence. Right. And this is almost always used as an insult. And it's used against men almost exclusively. And it can mean a variety of different things, depending upon the context and and the way it's used. Okay. And in different translations, you'll see that English translators have chosen maybe a a different word for each time. So it could mean that the man is effeminate. It could mean he's a coward. He's unmanly. Right. But it can also imply something sexual. It can imply the man takes on, which, for lack of a better word, he might take on the female role in sex with another man. Right, okay. So is it a bit like, you know, someone might say, oh, that's so gay. Yeah. So in some cases, it might literally mean this person is doing something gay. But in other cases, it's just like going, oh, that's a bit girly. Right. It's a bit rubbish. Yeah. Viking men were just as mature as, I guess, 11-year-old boys in modern (laughs) England. 
Um, one example, for instance, where it doesn't seem to imply something outright homosexual. You may remember the very first Viking thing mm-hmm. I told the saga of Rev the Swine. Yeah. There's a scene where he confronts a polar bear, but is unable to, to kill it because of the events in the story. Yeah. And people go, oh my god, he didn't kill a polar bear. Oh, he's so arger. Right. It's like, well... Is that homosexual? Not killing a polar bear? They're just sort of meaning what a wimp, I think, in that case. Yeah. So it's a confusing term, this yeah. one. Yeah, not, not directly applicable to our language, maybe. Yeah. Um, but there is this notion that sex between men, in which you play a particular role, is considered shameful or unmanly. So right. there's homophobia, basically, yeah. in the Viking Age here, unsurprisingly. Um, interestingly, though... It doesn't seem to be a problem if a man had sex with an, with another man, but in what you might call the male role. Um, there are occasional examples of men forcing sex upon defeated male enemies in saga literature, though it's not very common. So it's unclear, actually, how applicable this is to real life. Right. How common was this? But it shows how there is a nuance there in their understanding of what's acceptable and what's unacceptable in their culture. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked around gay identities, but what about transgendered people or gender-fluid people? Is there any evidence at all that that was was taking place in the Viking Age? There's a bit more to go on here when it comes to transgender identities. As always, we've got to be careful applying our modern understandings of gender identity on a character from a story in like a single paragraph. Yeah. But there are hints and clues here. So, in general, it looks like acting outside of the normal behaviour for your biological sex was generally frowned upon. Okay. And in some cases, the Vikings are laughing at this. So, the best example of this, I think, is Thrym's Quida. Mm-hmm. That's that poem where Thor has a dress as a bride to get his hammer back. Right. Thor is very ashamed of this, and it's presented as a comedy, really. Yeah. It's something for the audience to laugh at. Essentially, it's LOL. That man is wearing a dress. Right. So there's hints here of transphobia, possibly some homophobia as well. Odin is an interesting character, as I mentioned as well. Yeah, you mentioned in a recent episode that Odin practices magic known as, like, Sather, I think, which is mainly practiced by women, and that Odin might have worn women's clothing while doing this? Yeah, there's suggestions that to practice this this women's magic, you take on some sort of female attributes. It's not very well explained, I have to say. But Loki insults Odin in the poem Locus Senna, and one possible translation is, basically, we know that you dressed as a woman, doing women's magic, right. say there. And Odin's like, stop talking about this, Loki, stop it. So again, possibly a, a bit of transphobia there. Yeah. Um, we should also mention as well, I suppose, that little figurine that's come up before. Yeah. Uh, from, is it Leira? My Danish is atrocious. <laughs> L-E-J-R-E. And this is that figurine of a person sat on a throne and they've got these ravens on their shoulder. We've got this very kind of iconic Odin imagery. Yeah. But they're wearing the the clothes of a Viking woman. They're wearing a dress and these lovely strings of beads. So one interpretation is this is Odin dressed as a woman. So there's something we're not fully understanding here going on that's not very well explained to us in the stories. But people do seem to be transgressing what would otherwise be the normal gender roles and appearances of the time period. 
What about outside of mythology, though? What about, you know, the sagas? Yes, well, if we go to the saga, uh, Lakstala saga, one mm-hmm. of the great Icelandic epics, there's a section within this where there is a man named Thord and a woman named Gudrun, and they really want to be together. But unfortunately, they're both already married. They're in loveless marriages, and they want to separate from their partners. So Thord tells Gudrun... Make your husband a shirt with such a large neck hole that you may have a good excuse for divorcing from him because he has a low neck like a woman. Meanwhile, Thord, he is married to a woman known for wearing trousers. And her name is Breaches Oud. I love it. Lovely straight to the point Viking nickname. (laughs) And when Thord asks what the penalty was for a woman who went about always in trousers, Gudrun says... She deserves the same penalty as a man who is dressed in a shirt with so low a neck that his naked breast can be seen. Divorce in either case. So they both divorce from their partners on the grounds of dressing too much like the opposite sex. Okay. But I'd like to mention as well what happens to Breaches Oud. So they're divorced now, but Breaches Oud rides up to Thorod's house wearing her trademark trousers And she attacks him with a sword on his arm and both his nipples. Interesting targets. (laughs) Uh, So he is very badly injured. He does survive. His men want to chase after her. But he says, just let her go. I kind of had this coming. And she rides up into the sunset and it's never heard from again. Oh, see, of course she's not heard from again. Because Breach's Oud Saga would be too good and too interesting, wouldn't it? like Moose Boy that I've mentioned (laughs) before. (laughs) All the fun characters didn't get recorded. Um, so it might be a bit, a bit much for us to assume Breaches Out is transgender. We don't get a full description of her besides she likes to wear trousers. No, but she is transgressing kind of the normal confines of her gender role within Viking society, isn't she? Yes. And it's interesting that there's this hostility towards transgressing these norms, Mm -hmm. in this case, leading in divorce for both men and women. So her trousers and seeing uh, Gudrun's husband's breast (laughs) (laughs) well okay but we have mentioned before you know other kind of examples of of transgressing gender norms what about the shield maidens and valkyries yeah so this is quite interesting shield maidens sometimes seem to adopt male fashion and in some cases they take on a male identity and sometimes get mistaken for men as well until you get really 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 close and go (laughs) that's a girl isn't it cool (laughs) Uh, I think when Sigurd the Dragon Slayer finds Brunhilde the Valkyrie, she's all dressed in her armour sleeping, and he pulls her helmet off and is like, It's a lady! <laughs> what? I wasn't expecting that! And the best example of this, though, is a character named Hervor, and she appears in the saga of Hervor and Hedrek, and in her part of the story, she learns of her true heritage. She is the last surviving child of a mighty warrior. And she decides that she will have a man's cloak and a kirtle cut for her. She says to her mum, equip me as you would a son. And then she adopts a man's name. She takes on the name Hervard and she joins a crew of Vikings. She lives for a while as a Viking raider. She has an epic poetry battle with her undead father (laughs) to own his magical sword. It's a fantastic saga. And she's clearly really good at what she does. Eventually, though, she does tire of this lifestyle and she reverts back to what we might call a stereotypical lifestyle and the activities of a Viking Age woman and she marries and has children. 
Hervor, or Hervard, they transgress what otherwise seem to be quite strict gender roles. But it's really interesting that they're not criticised or ridiculed for the masculine attire and the masculine identity that they adopt. And also, neither are Valkyries. Yeah. Valkyries seem to wear men's armour and carry men's equipment, like swords and spears. And no one goes, mmm, it's a bit weird. Yeah. Valkyries seem to be quite idolised. There are also other warrior women, like uh, Ladgerda and Gesta Danorum, also known as Lagatha in modern times. And this person is admired for her courage and her skill in warfare, a traditional masculine activity. No one seems to go, you shouldn't really be doing this. Could you go make a tapestry for me instead? (laughs) I mean, so overall, it seems a bit muddled. There's very muddled. Kind of just, we're just like, you know, there's little glimpses of it might have been an LGBTQ person, but no kind of concrete evidence yet. Yes. So overall, the Viking Age attitudes towards sexuality and gender, they seem to be very nuanced. And we just don't have a very clear understanding at all, I would say, of this culture's perspective. And it probably varied a lot in different parts of the Viking world and at different points in the Viking Age as well. I mean, just like today, there are places in the world that are not nearly as accepting of of LGBTQ people as others. I could imagine that certain people in the Viking Age are very liberal, some are very conservative. Sometimes they seem to be very rigid. They seem to have ridicule and shame directed at people who transgress normal kind of heterosexual norms and gender norms. And then there are characters like Hervor or Hervart, the shield maiden, and they blur the lines between genders and they accomplish great deeds in battle and they are praised for this as well. Yeah. So Viking Age concepts of gender and sexuality were probably quite different to those of today. But they are just as complicated and just as nuanced, if not more so. We've just lost so much information from this time period. There's only so much we can learn from excavations like (laughs) Coppergate where we find old shoes and Viking poop. Um, It's probably impossible to completely define their concepts with any clear certainty. So... For the month of June to celebrate Pride, we've got a few bits going on across our attractions uh, in York that people should definitely um, check out if they get the chance. Um, For the entire month of June, Barley Hall Coffee Shop, which we've mentioned before, is being transformed into a Molly House. In the 18th and early 19th centuries, a Molly House was the name given to taverns, pubs, and coffee houses that provided a social space and a meeting place for gay men. Uh, Once home to an 18th century coffee house, Barley Hall Coffee Shop is the perfect place for a refreshment indoors or outdoors on the aptly named Coffee Yard. Um, But if you visit during the month of June, you'll be able to find out more about Molly Houses and Lister, homosexuality in the medieval period, and gender roles in the Viking Age. So you'll definitely want to check that out. There's uh, quite a lot to, to see. It's very interesting. On the 17th of June at Barley Hall, we have Shakespeare Shorts, The Twelfth Night. Now, this is Shakespeare in just 15 minutes. Uh, Join us for an immersive and family-friendly retelling of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. This is a tale of mistaken identity, cross-dressing, and long-lost siblings. Our costume storyteller will make simple a story that has even the characters confused, all whilst exploring themes of gender identity and the history of cross-dressing in theatre. And then finally, on the 20th of June, treat yourself to a film and cocktails with Tu Wong Fu, 
with cocktails. Enjoy a complimentary drink and popcorn combo whilst watching the LGBTQ plus cult classic Tu Wong Fu in the cozy Barley Hall coffee shop. This event is kindly sponsored by Fairfax Distillery, who will be around during the evening selling their delicious and locally made products. So if you're in York and you get the chance to check out these events, definitely do. Um, they're they're going to be a load of fun. If you liked this episode and want to learn more about the Vikings, then come visit Jorvik Viking Centre, where you can enjoy the sights, sounds and smells of the Viking Age. You can book your tickets at jorvikvikingcentre.co.uk. Don't forget to rate and review that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show, share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favourite history podcast. To contact us for more information or ideas for future episodes, you can email us on podcast at yorkat.co.uk. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeology, hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, produced by Miranda Schmiederer, Lucas Norton, and Gareth Henry. Sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.